Today's episode of Found Down is brought to you by Unwound Retreats. Unwound Retreats offers fun events and travel experiences for nurses locally and internationally. Founded by me, Nicole Johnson, ICU nurse and host of the Found Down podcast, I provide opportunities for nurses to practice self-care, learn, and travel together. These last two years have been brutal in healthcare, and why not give yourself the gift to unwind, learn, and grow? Previous guests have loved the experiences, especially because you can just show up and know that everything will be taken care of. Unwound Retreats is offering exciting and luxurious retreats in Morocco and Mexico. Go over to unwoundretreats.com and sign up to get on the email list so you can find out more. Welcome to the Found Down Podcast. This is a podcast of untold nursing stories that are sometimes hilarious, dark, insane, and anything in between. As a warning, this show is rated E and is mature in content. It often deals with the reality of life and death and how we as nurses intersect with that on a regular basis. If we laugh, it's not out of disrespect. We love what we do and have every intention of continuing to do so. With that, enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Found Down Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Johnson, and today I am so lucky to have Madeline Dahl with us today. She has a background in cardiac critical care. And she is, man, when I first met Madeline, it was clear she was a badass. Um, And you're going to hear a little bit about that for sure. I'm not trying to (laughs) blow your head up, Madeline, but um, everyone who knows you knows that you're really, um, there's something special about you. Today, we're going to talk about um, a a good Samaritan story. Madeline, for some reason, has had a history of just being in the right place at the right time and actually doing the thing that needs to be done. So that is just amazing. So we're going to hear about uh, a a good Samaritan story. And then Madeline also has a survival story. Hopefully we can get to that. And we're just going to find out what is going on in her world, which turns out she's been working in a COVID ICU. So anyway, Madeline, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks so thanks so much for being here. Madeline's currently in um, Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, so you recently, we were just talking before the interview got started, that you were working in a cardiac, in a CCU that um, got turned over into a COVID ICU. How the, oh my God, how the hell did that go? Um, it went quickly. and slowly at the same time. Um, so I was, I was working in a CCU in a big hospital in Boston, um, that I'd worked in for a couple years. And, um, we started getting patients from related to the pandemic, um, as we were hitting the peak in Massachusetts. Um, and then because of our, the resources that my hospital had, we ended up getting so many ICU patients that we uh, took all of our cardiology patients, our usual patient population, sent them to um, the surgical ICU, and then we're taking care of just coronavirus patients who were critically ill. So like 100% vented. Um, And then we had so many, we ended up taking over another floor as well and bringing in a bunch of floor nurses and like creating this totally new model of nursing than what we were usually doing. That was the crisis standards of care. Is that right? Yeah, we were doing, we were doing a team nursing model. So it was 
our, like that was our plan for surge capacity nursing. So it would be uh, ICU nurses paired with floor nurses um, that we were meeting for the first time and taking care of patients together. Can you just talk about how did that go over? I mean, that is, you're talking about, so normally critical care nurses, I mean, we expect a lot of the unexpected, but there's a lot of stuff that, you know, you can say that they typically say they're, we're type A people. Like how did that, I mean, did that go over just like a lead balloon or what? Um, it was mixed for sure. Some people, I think some people are uniquely suited for ICU because they're so fiercely independent. Mm. Um, and because they are so detail oriented and self-motivated that they take such amazing care of their patients, but it's really hard to mesh that with somebody else that you're meeting for the first time. Um, so some people, um, had to really had to work to find their groove with it. Um, and the other thing was that it was hard to figure out what part of what part of your ICU nursing care is something someone else can do like that you can delegate away because boiling it down to just the critical care part, it's pretty hard. Like I've only ever worked in the ICU. So it's hard for me to differentiate sometimes. Yeah. Um, And that was difficult as well. I think for the floor nurses, because they also are used to, you know, in the ICU we're, busy because we have these critically ill patients and then the floor they're busy because they have a lot of patients and the time like trying to independently time manage with somebody else is difficult to figure out yeah totally that would be really really challenging yeah and you just want to you just want to be maximally useful I feel like that's pretty universal in nursing is that people want to be helpful Mm -hmm. and feeling out of your element and like you aren't getting to reach that flow state is, I think was frustrating for everybody. How did you um, manage your, I'm just going to ask fear and anxiety related to exposure. I mean, cause if you were solely taking care of, did you feel protected? How did you like, how did the, how did you feel? How did the staff feel? How did you feel coming home to your wife? And like, did, how was that for you? Um, I think it like waxed and waned, like it came in waves where I would feel totally fine. And then I wouldn't, I think part of the fear is similar to how the, how everybody's feeling right now, where the information seems to change constantly, which when you work in medicine, you know, that's how medicine works. Mm -hmm. Um, Things change all the time. We get new information and we adapt with that. Um, but then every time you'd learn something new, sometimes you'd think about like, oh my God, then, then when this thing happened to me last week, was I exposed? I have no idea. So um, that was anxiety producing, but also I think because things were moving so quickly, I almost didn't have time to think about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but I do think it, it would manifest in these moments that normally would have been able to be more controlled, but then they weren't as much. So like we would bring people in to the unit to be emergently intubated. And the anxiety in that moment was so much more than it normally was because it was an aerosolizing procedure. And um, mm-hmm. people who would normally be able to keep their cool 
actually people that I'd never even really seen lose their cool were, which was, that was what really scared me actually more than the virus was seeing people that normally um, are very composed to see that other side of them really freaked me out because um, you know, I looked to, I looked to my, my peers and my uh, more senior nurses as role models, of course, and uh, feeling like we were on the same plane of anxiety. That was what really scared me. Mm-hmm. You're like, holy shit. They're, they're, they, they're losing their shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the things I've seen these women do, uh, it blows my mind. So to be, to see that in them was what real was what really got me finally, because, uh, there's something about being in a hospital where you kind of feel like you can handle anything. Like mm-hmm. you're in an academic medical center. You're like, somebody here's an expert. Like somebody knows, like somebody knows where I can find that. Like, I just need to find that person. It's like all about using your resources. And I know that I'm spoiled in that way. I've gotten to work at hospitals where I get to feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was like totally turned that on its end. Like we don't know, like nobody knows and <laughs> figure it out. Um, so I do think that some of it too was um, being able, like being in cardiology, we had so many patients who uh, we would work with them for months because they would live in our unit waiting to get a heart transplant or sometimes more than one organ. And we would make these incredibly strong bonds with these people because, you know, there's, I mean, some of these people have, were on total, um, total support for both ventricles. So they really couldn't go anywhere. And I can't imagine something more vulnerable than that. But um, we got to know these people so well, but we also got to know cardiology so well that no matter what fear they had, we would have an answer for them. Like we could tell them, this is what I think will happen. This is something we can do to make it better. This is, um, that's normal or just be able to explain something to make some sense of it and take away their anxiety. Um, and so to, to not be able to do that anymore, to be like, I don't know either. And Mm. I'm sorry. And like, I'm scared too. Um, that felt so bad. Like you always, obviously there's still moments like that where you don't have the right answer for somebody, but, um, to kind of have that expertise, like what little comfort we can give people taken away, um, was, I don't, it didn't, it didn't feel like I was getting to be the nurse that I want to be anymore because I'm like show up for patients in the same way because I didn't have the, I wasn't ready. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Yeah. You don't, yeah. You didn't have the answers and, um, cause nobody, nobody, nobody does. Nobody no does. I mean, we're starting <laughs> to have a, a little glimmer of hope with remdesivir and dexamethasone and, um, plasma, but I mean, yeah, I think, I think that our profession, there's going to be a silicone of, of, 
I mean, problems, I think probably because at least, well, a lot of people will probably have some residual PTSD from this experience because we, you know, the fact that we couldn't have, can't have COVID positive patients have family members present and then people are saying goodbye over Zoom calls. Like that's, that's fucked up. It is. It's completely messed up. And it's, um, I don't know, like it took, I feel like I, I feel like I lost my trust a little bit in nursing um, or not even in nursing, but just in being a nurse. There's something, I think there's a kernel of positivity there and that it's like, it reminds you of what to not take for granted. But I do think that it, I feel like the anxiety that I'm trying to describe is like still ahead of me <laughs> and it's not, yeah. it's happening now. Like it's, um, it'll, it'll take a new shape over time, but I think you're totally right. I think it's going to stay. Now that we're talking about this, I'm realizing, I think one of the most anxiety provoking things was we had all these different types of ventilators. And so now we, um, we, this was actually very strange. So they couldn't hook up to our overhead anymore. Like it wouldn't alarm. Uh So we had researchers come sit in front of the rooms and they would tell us if it was blinking because we couldn't be, um, we couldn't be, you couldn't monitor in the same way. Right. So like, no matter why it was blinking, cause they don't know, they would have to tell <laughs> it was blinking. That. So then now that it's, you have to trust more than ever. Cause you have to trust this researcher who is all honestly overqualified for that job. That <laughs> 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 um, would literally, that was their job. They would sit and they would watch and tell you if the ventilator was beeping because you had more patients than usual. And it was a ventilator we weren't used to using. And we had to keep all the doors closed because, um, yeah. because because you, you could, yeah, right. You couldn't have the, yeah. Um, God, that is, um, terrifying. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is. Or like something aerosolizing would happen and you're watching your patient from the other side of the glass. I just, I tend to just stay in my patient's room like constantly because I want to be able to catch anything I can. But now that tr- that's where the trust piece comes in. Like I'm, I'm never going to take a break again. <laughs> like I'm just going to stare at them and make sure I'm not missing anything. <laughs> right. You're right. I, I, I worked, um, I worked one day down in the COVID ICU. I mean, I've had other COVID patients, um, but when that down in the COVID ICU, um, you know, you have to figure out like the way you manage those patients is so totally different. Like, what am I going to, can I make sure there's enough propofol in the bottle and there's enough, it's programmed in the pump so like it doesn't start beeping and go off and then they wake up when you can't get to them and then they're going to self-extubate. Like, oh yeah, that, that level, cause you can't just fucking, you can't just open the door. You can't yeah. just go in there. So, um, that was just a whole, a whole different way of, of nursing. Yeah. Or not being able to trust that there will be any more of that medicine in two hours. Right. Because you had, you guys were exploding. So we were. So it would be like, well, first, the first sign would be you'd get medicine that was in a different, like, it was like a different label than you'd recognize. And you were like, okay, I guess I'll use this. And then there would be fewer. And then they'd be like, we don't have any more. 
So that's scary. Like, that's what I mean with the trust. Is you never, you don't know when the next thing that's going to. Like what's going to be unavailable. What's going to, yeah. What's next? Like what's going to change? What's going to disappear? What's going to appear at any moment, which you would think that, that that's like the bread and butter of the ICU, but it's just totally different. Like anything you think is going to stay the same, let go of it because <laughs> it might not be. It might go away. You might be with completely different everything in two hours. Who knows? Maybe, maybe tomorrow. Oh my gosh. I will say it did make me feel closer to my practice in that that was the only thing that was this, that's the only constant at all. Mm. Which I think it was most, I think it was a positive thing, but also scary. Um, You're like, this is respiratory. This is hypoxic respiratory failure. Yes. They, right. Like they need low lung protective ventilation. They need, they'd be sedated. They, whatever it is, they're probably going to need some vasopressor. They're probably, you know, whatever you mean, like that kind of, that kind of practice. Yeah. Well, in that I was like, there were so many, I would have this internal dialogue where there were so many moments where I'd be like, I don't know what to do. And I'd be like, you know what? I do know what to do. This is a vented patient. I've taken care of tons of vented patients. I understand lungs. <laughs> I understand oxygenation. Like I know how to keep people comfortable. Like I know all of those things and the rest of it is excess. That was, that was what your real question was. How did I manage my anxiety? I like went back. I went internally. I went to the basics, um, which I, some of it, what becomes muscle memory, like you forget the things, you know, Mm -hmm. so turning back to that and the fundamentals of like, I mean, it really strips it down. You end up being like, why did I become a nurse? Like, how did this happen? Like, what did Florence Nightingale say 200 years ago? (laughs) Like, or not 200, I guess she would have been a baby, but (laughs) I seriously did. I went back to notes on nursing because I was just looking to get back to the fundamentals of like, how did we get here? Um, wow. Get recentered in that. Um, that actually did help to go back to the fundamentals. Um, everything. I mean, when you're a new grad and you're going into it, you really don't know anything except for what you've been taught. And it was like a return to that. And that did help me manage my anxiety, just going back to the roots. I think that's incredibly powerful and also very helpful for whoever's going to hear this. Um, And to be honest, I'm like going to, I feel like I could start crying because I was just like, uh, you know, that place of anxieties and uh, overwhelm is very palpable and you know, we've all been there. Um, and definitely not in, this is a totally different game changer, but you know, it's like, how do you, uh, how do you manage that? And like, it's like almost like remembering, just go back to your breath. Um, (laughs) uh, but, um, my God, that's crazy. So you have been away, you've been away a little bit now from work, right? Like you're, you're on a little bit of a hiatus. Mm-hmm. How long did you say? Um, a few months. 
couple months. Good for you. <laughs> I know. Good for I'm you. Grateful for that. Good for you and your mental health. Oh my God. That's great. Well, I hope that you're enjoying it. It feels good. It feels bad in that it feels bad to be away from my team when they're not taking a break. Um, but how many, how many times have I been told nursing is a 24 hour job? Hundreds. Um, it's hard. And you had to move, you know, your life changed <laughs> yeah. and you can't, you, you can't be there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess that's a little bit of moral distress, right? Uh, it is. It's, yeah. um, uh, something in the neighborhood of abandonment, but not to right. be away from there is, I mean, I really think that the way that nurses are bonded to each other, what after you work together is totally different from like any other relationship I've ever experienced. It's a different thing. Um, and you I love I, your, I think wait, what? I was going to say you love you. I feel like you genuinely love your colleagues. Like I, I do. I love them. And you, you, you see the, the good and the bad side of them and they see the same in you and you still show up every day and see them. Um, I really missed that part when we got diluted down to, to team nursing with uh, people that when you, you, even though you're on the same unit as people that you're used to seeing, you would not see them all day. Also, you can only see each other's eyes cause you're covered up. Yeah. So you can't see them anyway. <laughs> um, like I would literally walk onto my unit and not recognize anybody. And, um, just those little moments of getting to see somebody when you're grabbing your coffee or, being in a really hard situation and watching somebody you know that you can trust walk in and just even having the time to check and see how somebody's like son's soccer game was or whatever those little 10 second things um meant more to me than I knew and I didn't really know until they were not there I really Mm. missed my team connect Uh, connection that connection. Exactly. And, um, and just knowing that even if you don't necessarily get along with somebody that you work with, you know, that they get what you're going through. And I, and I ended up talking to some of the floor nurses about it too, because I was like, do you feel isolated even though you're surrounded by a ton of people? Like I, you don't know me. I don't know you either. And they did, they missed, they missed their team and they missed that connection too and not knowing when it, when they were going to get to see them again. But it is such a weird, uh, it's kind of like being in New York City when you're like walking through a crowd, you don't know anybody, but you feel alone. Same thing, except hectic hospital environment. <laughs> Damn. So I miss, I miss my team. <laughs> oh. And my patients. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure they miss you too, for good reason. Yeah. Well, we really had, seeing those our few success stories succeed, we would all latch on to those. And so to see all of our patients that we had invested so much time into um, go somewhere else and have, we didn't know how they were doing or what was going on and like how, how, what kind of day they were having was, that was like really our, 
motivation day to day. So that was gone too. And, um, I don't know those, that's like the heartbeat, not to (laughs) be cheesy, the heartbeat of the cardiac ICU is like those connections. And then those, those stories where you did the right thing and it, it actually happened. They got their heart. Yeah. We need, we need hope. It's, but then we started seeing our patients who we'd help get a heart come back with coronavirus. Oh, dear God. That was the worst. <laughs> like, no. They made it over the finish line. And then actually they didn't. It was so bad. It was so terrible. And then you like turn to somebody and you're like looking to see somebody who is like, oh yeah, like I can't believe he's back either. And it's a stranger. Oh, so right. You, right. <laughs> you're like, I really need... I really need someone to appreciate and understand this feeling that I have right now. Yeah. And you, and you can't. Can, yeah. Yeah. All right, I really feel like I'm like giving myself whiplash with the positives and negatives here. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what's going on. <laughs> that's a, yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're, you're processing all of this and I mean, and I'm going to continue to process a lot of this for a long time. Hey there, you fabulous nurse you. Did you know that I have a self-care for healthcare business called Unwound Retreats, where we do virtual mini retreats that offer meditation and yoga? If you go to unwoundretreats.com right now and sign up for my email list, I'll send you over a free PDF of seven ways to de-stress at work and refill your cup. Also, you'll get to hear about my upcoming offerings for nurses, including a Nurses Moroccan Retreat this June 2021. After the year we're having, we are definitely going to need this. Again, go to unwoundretreats.com and sign up today. How have you been keeping yourself sane at home before we go dig into anything else? Well, I stopped trying to, in in an effort to keep bandwidth for work and for the news, Mm -hmm. I have stopped like consuming any media of consequence (laughs) besides that. Um... So just like absolutely nothing in the Game of Thrones realm, way too much. Like only (laughs) things that are, I've given myself permission to not have anything be a guilty pleasure anymore. Um, Like if I want to listen to like cheesy pop music or watch a really terrible romantic comedy that has absolutely no substance, then I'm doing it. (laughs) That's awesome. Doing that. Lots of time outside. Um, you guys have a dog too, right? And we have a dog, thank goodness. And he has no idea what's going on. So it's perfect. <laughs> he has no idea. He only knows he only knows eating, sleeping, and outside. And that's kind of perfect. That's great. And oh, I'm trying just... not to. I'm trying not to fill um, my space with sounds. The hospital is so loud and I can't hear myself think. And so I'm, um, I'm trying to spend a lot of time. It's really, I think a knee jerk reaction to immediately turn on a podcast or a song or whatever, anytime you're by yourself. So I'm trying not to do that. Um, cause like you said, I'm accidentally processing everything live (laughs) on a recording. Um, but that's what, but uh, there's no room for that when you're at work. So I'm trying to trying not to fill empty space 
compulsively and to let uh, whatever might be hiding in the recesses of my brain come out. Silence and stillness, uh, supposedly really good for for your mind and mental health. So it doesn't always feel that way, but it's supposedly it is. <laughs> Kudos to you for digging in. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I thank you so much for being so vulnerable and real. Uh, I'm sure. Sorry for rambling. (laughs) Dude, you were not rambling. I was riveted. (laughs) I was riveted. Um, And I think it's important to hear, you know, I think for a lot of people out there, a lot of people want to know what it's been like. And a lot of people who've been through this also are going to get solace in knowing that, um, you know, they're not alone. They were not alone. Um, okay. I'm totally switching gears. Okay. So you have had a couple of good Samaritan (laughs) experiences and, um, both two, the two that I know of both got media attention. Um, but the one that I'm thinking about, can you, Talk to us about what happened at STP. And for the for the record, STP is this epic, uh, what is it, 204-mile 200, bike ride from Seattle to Portland that normally happens every year. It's obviously not happening this year. But what happened when you decided to do STP one time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's actually like my first bike event ever. <laughs> really? Yeah, my dad wanted me to do it with him, so I did. Um, so, yeah, so like you said, it's a two-day bike event, so you're doing like 100 miles a day. Um, and I was doing it with my dad. We um, had slept overnight in a campsite, and I'm going back all the way to the morning because I do think it's of consequence. So we overslept. Um, we slept longer than we were supposed to. So we got on the road late. Um, so we're kind of stressed about that. Um, and then I feel like there was some other thing that went wrong in that moment. I can't remember what it was, but so we got on the road late and then my dad got a flat, um, like 20 miles in. So we're, we had done a hundred the day before and we need to make it to Portland today. And you have to, you have to be on time or you're not going to make it like across bridges and things like that. Um, so the pressure's on, um, And I got a flat. We had to stop on the side of the road and change it. Um, So then we're even later because that takes a while. Um, And then we were biking. You you got a a flat and your dad got a flat? No, he got a flat. Okay. I waited with him. Yeah, right, right, of course. Um, He got a flat. We changed the flat, got back on the road. Um, So now we're like at least a couple hours behind what we had planned. Um, And then we were biking. We're in like a pretty rural part of Washington and we're biking up a hill. Um, and I am not the best at biking up hills. So I look down cause you're supposed to, <laughs> you're supposed to go up a hill like a duck. You're supposed to only move your lower legs. So I was, I'm looking down at my legs <laughs> um, and we're going up the hill and there was a group of people on the side um, there's a lot of people who stop on the side of the road during these bike events, mostly because they're dehydrated. So because there were so many of them, I wasn't going to stop. Um, but my dad pointed it out to me. I was like, all right, I'm going to get to the top of the hill 
if things look like it's like they're under control, just keep going. Um, and then we're biking past this guy and he is blue and agonal breathing <gasps> and nobody's touching him. What? So I pull over, obviously. I was like, hi, I'm a nurse. What's going on? They said, oh, like he hit his head um, because he had. But um, so there's a couple people related to the like a couple volunteers and then just like um, other bystanders and then the guy's wife are there. Um, and I asked if they checked a pulse. They didn't. I checked a pulse. He didn't have one. So I started doing CPR. <laughs> this is like the one thing I learned from the other time, which had been like about a year before I asked my dad to start a timer. <laughs> Oh, we would know how long it was because we oh. were out kind of, I mean, I wasn't super familiar with Washington yet, but I knew we weren't close to a hospital. Um, so I started, uh, doing compressions. There were people around, but the, out of their privacy, I won't go into too much detail there, yeah. but, um, tensions were high. People were not all on the same page necessarily about how to handle the situation. Um, but okay. called 911, 911 was on the way. Um, and they ended up showing up, um, but it was kind of a small staff. So we um, continued to assist during the process of getting him into the ambulance. And he was still getting compressions while he, and getting AED shocks, like as he rolled away. So he's in the ambulance, he's gone. And how, then- how long, were you the sole provider? of the CPR until did anybody you really, how long do you, how long was it? Do you know? Do you know? I think it it was like, it was like four or five rounds. It was a little while. Um, I think it was 12 minutes, but I can't remember right now. It was. That's a long, long, (laughs) that's a long time. I mean, I know that when I do CPR for two minutes, that's a long time to do it. Yeah. But, but you did it obviously. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, no, that's fine. Um, so we're doing it. Yeah. Doing it for a while. Then I was switching off with one of the staff members from the ambulance until they were gone. Um, just to make sure it was continuous. Um, and then he rolls away. He's in the ambulance done. Um, and then, you know, there's a group of people kind of all of a sudden with nothing to do. So we like weirdly shook hands. <laughs> all of us shook hands because we didn't know what to do. <laughs> There's no like social more for what you're supposed to do after you all assist <laughs> someone who's dying. Um, so we shook hands and told everybody to have a good day and just got on our bikes and kept going. So then uh, it was kind of, we didn't really say anything for a while, my dad and I, just because it was so um, surprising. (laughs) And when I'm in those moments, I, it's kind of like they didn't happen. Like I lock in and I don't, uh, necessarily feel like it happened to me. Mm -hmm. So, um, but we also were late. So we were focused on the spike ride. I did end up, um, you stop along the way, of course, to, um, refuel and stuff. And I ended up re-encountering some of the same people that had stopped and, um, and we were kind of processing it together in like tiny little increments. So I was running into these people and they were handling it in different ways. And 
we talked about how it went, but we didn't really know what happened to this guy. Um, and then I had one conversation. I think we had like 25 miles left. So we we're almost done where a lady came up to me and she was like, um, are you a nurse? So I was like, thought something else was happening. I didn't know how she knew I was in the theater. You're like, no, no, there can't be another emergency. <laughs> I am off duty. Um, but I'm just kidding. But, um, yeah, she was like, are you a nurse? But it turned out it's cause she had been talking to my dad. Um, and she ended up telling me this story about how a, how her dog had died at the vet years before, but she felt better about the dog passing away at the vet because she knew they had done everything they could. I thought she was telling me this story because she knew that the case had turned out poorly and he didn't make it. And that was really what I thought was implied in that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, thank you for sharing that story with me. Um, <laughs> for um, maybe just more people, just <laughs> people like to, um, sorry, this is a sidebar, but do people randomly vent to you when you're wearing your scrubs? It happens to me all the time. Yeah. People will just like share their life story. So I wasn't wearing my scrubs though. Um, so she told me that story. I thought it meant that the guy hadn't made it. Um, and initially I was still in this like panic mode of being late on the bike race. So I was like, okay, thanks for sharing that with me. I'm really sorry to hear that. I'm like, had to go. So I left the bike race is over. I'm trying to kind of process it through with my dad. I ended up telling him about what the lady had told me. And then I was like, I'm really bummed to hear that, but I'm, you know, I'm glad he, um, I'm glad that some people stopped and we tried our best. So that's the end of that. Um, I end up going back to work in Seattle and um, one of my coworkers asks me how the bike ride was. <laughs> I'll tell you how it was. <laughs> Funny you should ask. Um, so I told her the story of what had happened. And then, you know, she responded as a nurse might, like, that's so crazy. We moved on with our days. Um, but I can't remember if somebody, she passed it on to somebody or I think someone might've overheard us talking about it, but I went to work. I think, I think it was the Thursday after that weekend. So not that many days later, I worked night shift at the time. Somebody came up to me and, um, oh no, the front desk, our front desk person was like, Hey, congratulations. I was like, for what? (laughs) It was like day two of three. I'm not awake yet. No coffees in my system, like very confused. Um, And she handed me a news article that was like, I don't remember the exact words, but it was like family looking for person who did CPR on guy during STP, something like that. And I, I really, my first reaction, I was like, Oh, that's crazy that it happened to somebody else too. (laughs) I like really didn't think it was about me. I was like, wow, like what are the odds? Because the coworker who had overheard us or who had been told, I can't remember what it was. I think she overheard was walking through the living room of her house. The news was on and she heard this story and she was like, oh my God, this might be the nurse that I work with and sent it in to our unit because she knew I was coming in for work that night. Very considerate of her to not call a night shift nurse while she was sleeping. So thank you, Jessica. (laughs) very aware. Um, so then, um, I'm like, there's no way this is me. It's somebody else. And then there's a line that's like, 
nurse that works in Seattle in her twenties with brown hair. She was with her dad, blah, blah, blah. It was like a bunch of things. I was like, Oh my God, like this is the guy. Um, and so I learned from the article that he lived and he lived. Yeah. He's at the hospital. Um, and they're looking for this person. I'm starting my shift. I need to focus on that. I need to focus on my patients. So I'm like, I need to table this for a second. Like I can't even process the fact that, cause I had already like kind of gone through this mentally. I was like, I'm so sad he didn't make it. And so now it's like, just kidding. He did. I didn't have the mental space to think about it in that moment, but I was like, I have to tell my dad. Um, so I called my dad really quick. I was like, dad, I only have two seconds. Like it's shift change, but that guy is alive. And then, um, hung up. <laughs> Because I had to go, I had to, I had to go get a report. Um, and then, so a few hours pass, I have time to take a lunch break now. Um, and I go get, grab my phone from the locker room. And I had been thinking, I was like, you know what? Like, maybe, like, should I even come forward? Like, some, like, does it even make sense to you? Like, is this going to give them closure? Like, I don't want to make this a whole thing. I don't know. I just wasn't sure what to do. Um, but didn't have time to think about that. Cause my mom was so excited. She looked it up on the news and got in touch with the family, like in the few hours that I was doing my job. So I like opened my phone and like my mom's on the news networks, Facebook, like that's my daughter, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so I don't have an opportunity. Like I don't have a chance to make it anonymous anyway. So it's been taken out of my hands. And then, so I got in touch with the family because of this, like, of course I did at this point. So at the time he was, um, he was still in the ICU and he hadn't woken up yet. Um, so I was in a unique position to talk with them about that in general, because I work in a cardiac ICU. Yeah. So, um, he had gotten a, he, yeah, he was, he was stable. He was in the ICU. I got in touch with the family. Um, and then a couple of days later, he woke up. No neurodeficits. Yay! Um, he got a, he got the vessel that was the problem vessel fixed. And I met him a while later. Um, and he's doing fine. <laughs> so did he, he must have had like a V-fib arrest or something like that. And so he was on an AED because I think it was, okay. a, it was like a volunteer. It was some kind of, the level of care was such that he was not on a monitor that had a rhythm. Okay. Put it that way. Um, so, but he was getting shocks. So we know something shockable. Yeah. Um, okay. And he had a, he had a 90 something percent occlusion to, I cannot, I think it might've been his LAD. I can't remember which vessel right now, but um so we had a massive heart attack or something. Okay. Yeah. For the layman out there that might be listening. Right. Sorry. He had a, he had, he was primed to have a heart attack, but he didn't know it. And he did the spike race and the, the strain from his, from the bike race, um, tipped him over the edge and he had a heart attack. Yeah. Um, so he was in some kind of V something arrest, probably V fib arrest. And, um, they fixed the problem vessel and he's, he's totally fine. And he actually, um, he sends me updates sometimes. So he like sent me a text a little while after and was like, I taught my granddaughter how to fish today. And he'll be like, Oh my God. Like I had salmon and brown rice, like heart healthy foods. So he's, um, 
lets me know about milestones that, or his family does too, that um, wouldn't have happened otherwise, which is really sweet and like not an opportunity we normally get. Usually people leave our area and then I don't know what happens. So I've never experienced that before either. I'm on the verge (laughs) of totally bawling. Uh, But I'm not going to. I just... uh, If you want to. That is... (laughs) Oh my God. I just... The gift, the gift that you gave them. And honestly, you were in the right place at the right time. Like you said, you woke up late, you got your flat, all of those things. If those things hadn't have happened, he may, he probably would have died because we don't know if somebody would have stopped and actually performed the life-saving measure that needed to happen for the people out there. Someone's blue, continue CPR. That's all they need and get them help. Right. And we ended up um, having a lot of discussion with the family because because of where we were um, and because of the what was available to us at the time, I did hands-only CPR because I didn't, I wasn't sure. So I think that's something important or one of the takeaways from this too is that hands-only CPR is totally fine. If you're not somebody who normally does rescue breaths or you feel like it's going to take a long time, like hands only CPR is great. You can do it. And all you have to do is just keep doing chest compressions. That's it. Yeah. Um, what's the new song now that they're saying? I feel like it's a Lizzo song, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. So I went to the university of Michigan for nursing school and there's uh-huh. like, uh, there's a song that, uh, they play at football games. That's what I use. What, what is that one? <laughs> I, don't, I think it's called Hail to the Victors, but it, it's like a marching band song that just go, it goes like, I literally sing it every time I do CPR. If anyone out there knows That's <laughs> awesome. If you know Michigan football, you know this song. But- <laughs> Um, I know, I realized that sometimes when I'm excited, I get the tempo wrong, but that one I can do. Good. I'm trying to look it up. Apparently work it by Missy Elliott works also. Ooh. Um, that's motivating. Work it. Mm -mm, Yeah. I don't know. That's funny. Different Missy Elliott song that I play when I'm trying to get pumped up for a new admin. So maybe I'll switch. (laughs) Wait, you do you do? You listen yeah. to a Missy what which one? This one? Uh, we run this. <laughs> oh you know we one? run this motherfucker. Right? <laughs> it's the one that's that has like the Sir Mix Lot uh jump on it track in it that they oh. sample. That's what uh one of the nurses I used to work with would play it or played it for me once when I was getting ready for an admit and it was like fired me up, so I do it every time. <laughs> if only I had the rights to that, I could end the show with this today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Music is powerful. <laughs> um, We've yeah, been... so whatever song you're going to be able to do, I, I test myself, honestly. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I I'll, every once in a while, I'll see if I got the tempo right so that I know I can do it under different circumstances. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... 
some the universe has tapped you for a resource out in the world because you've performed by Sanders CPR twice, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I wonder um, if it'll never happen to me again, though. Like, I maybe I used it up. You used it up. I don't know. I've um, I've yet to perform CPR on a bystander, but I've responded to five emergencies on a plane, and I always feel like, yeah, <laughs> like I think I used it up, but. I mean, I'm not flying anymore, but, um, right. <laughs> that would be a different I think for the sake of time, um, maybe I'll have you back on and you can tell your crazy story, survival story, sure. <laughs> which was ama- amazing. Um, but I just want to say it's been so great to talk to you and to catch up and just to look, I mean, truly, I mean, I always loved working with you and, um, think you're so cool. And, but it's just, you know, I think back to what you said, there's sort of this bond that you have with nurses, you know, and, uh, I just want to say thank you for sharing your experience and, and for all the people out there, I'm sure they're grateful. Any, any last thoughts? Oh, that's such a hard question. (laughs) That's okay. If you, I'm putting you on the spot. I guess, um, I do think that probably the, I think the thing that we landed on together was with this pandemic um, and feeling like you, like you don't know what you're doing and um, trying to quell that anxiety. You were totally right in saying we've all been there before. So just remembering that you have been there before, like you have not known what to do before. It's just new again. And like, I don't know. I th- I do think I think embracing uh, that and going back to the basics. Hopefully, somebody else that'll help them. And looking for those moments of connection. Yeah, it's great. And hands only CPR. And hands Miss only Elliot. CPR. Missy Elliott. <laughs> and Missy Elliott. Thank you so much uh, for being on the show. I'm so grateful. Again, I really will reach out to you to see if you want to be back on the show at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I love talking about nursing. And um, say hi to your wife and I hope you guys, I hope you enjoy your time before you start back at your new gig. Thank you. I hope you have restorative time. Thank you. (laughs) Doing Doing the best that we can here. So we miss you in Seattle. No, I miss you guys too. Okay. All right. Take care. Thanks so much. No problem. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave an honest review on whatever platform you are listening. Also, feel free to share this with your nursing colleagues. If you'd like to email me, you can do so at founddownpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send in any stories. Just make sure they're HIPAA compliant. Also, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at founddownpodcast. We'll see you on the next one.